Abba, Father, it's a privilege to call you Daddy this morning because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ and what he has done to accomplish, Lord, victory over sin and death, but also, Lord, the redemption of your people, your children, those whom you have called. So, Lord, as we've sung this morning that death was arrested, we celebrate that. And, Lord, you are faithful. You are faithful in all things. Great is thy faithfulness. And so, Lord, we come to you this morning and we acknowledge that you are the one who gives us life. You are the one that holds every breath, all of creation. As the writer in Isaiah says that, Lord, you hold the, the mountains in a scale and the seas in the palm of your hand. You are a God who is great and a God who is so good. And we acknowledge that this morning. And we come together as a body of believers here at Cross Point to declare that to you and to declare that to one another. And so, Lord, as we continue to do that, may we do that in humility. May we do that, Lord, in brokenness. May we do that in dependence. May we do that, Lord, in love and obedience and worship. Because, Lord, without you, every single one of us in this room, we are we are in, we're doomed, we're condemned to an eternal Christless death apart from you. But you being rich in mercy, you being God rich in love since your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to come, to live a perfect life, to die our death, to be buried, to rise again in victory over sin and death, and who now sits at the right hand of the Father in power, interceding for his children. That's great news. And so we come to you and we thank you and praise you for that. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to all of you here at Cross Point. I am Pastor Dave, also known as Big Dave. You can call me that. I don't get offended. Um, and uh, it's just a pleasure to come together. I, I, I look forward to Sunday mornings because Sunday mornings is not just something that we check off the list. Sunday mornings is an opportunity for us to come together as God's people. And I, I'm going to ask the First Impressions team to come and pass out the, the things while I'm talking here. Um, it's an opportunity for us to come together and to gather, going through all the circumstances of life, and to celebrate God together. So we welcome you here, and we're glad that you're here. If you would just take time to record uh, that you're here with us today. If you're new, there's a section in there that uh, we ask for your information. We're not going to hound you. We won't, uh, we won't be sending you a bunch of uh, stuff all the time, but we just want record of you being here and the opportunity for us to continue to minister to you as the Lord sees fit and uh, the opportunity to bless you um, as the Lord sees fit. Also in there is it's really... There's a section in there about prayer requests. One of the things that I really appreciate about Crosspoint is that um, we long to be a church of prayer. Prayer is, uh, is, is, is one of the most important things that we could ever do because it's an opportunity for us to talk to our Heavenly Father and to talk to our uh, Savior and to come to Him with everything. And so if you have prayer requests, those prayer requests um, are sent out to the leadership in the church and we do pray for that. Um, and I, and I hope that you will do that so that we continue to grow in being a praying church. Good morning, Cross Point. My name is Andrea Kemp. Um, I have been going here since uh, probably middle of 2020. Um, my husband, Brian Kemp, has been going here for about four years now. Um, we have a little son, five years old, Cade, um, and then I lead a women's small group on Saturday mornings. Um, so I'm going to be reading from the ESV version, 1 Corinthians 2, 6 um, through 16. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no the, nor the heart of man Im, Im, imaged, <clears throat> imagined, what God hasn't prepared for those who love him. 
These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except of the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart these this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting uh, spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is his, uh, himself to be judged by no one else. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? we have the mind of Christ. Thanks, Andrea. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We are continuing on in our series in the book of 1 Corinthians, and I've been really blessed. I don't know, hopefully you have as well. A little bit of context for what's going on in our passage this morning. We've been looking at the last several weeks Paul is writing the book of 1 Corinthians to believers, right? Because we know uh, about three or four weeks ago when uh, little Dave preached um, in 1 Corinthians, right? Little Dave, big Dave, that's how we, we, we refer to each other, okay? Uh, Paul says, I write to the saints, right? That is people who have put their faith and trust in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But what we know and what we're finding out within the book of 1 Corinthians is that people right, are continually in a process of growth. That's the Christian life. The minute you come to faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that you're uh, made perfect in your practice. Justification-wise, in the eyes of God, right, these words justification, sanctification, glorification, big words, let me give you a quick explanation of it. Justification means that I am made right in the eyes of God. The minute that you cry out to God for the salvation of your, of your soul from your sins, right, Jesus steps in between you and the Father, and when the Father looks at you, He always looks at you through whom? Christ. Which means positionally, you are made perfect. You are dearly loved. You're adopted as a child into the family of God, never to leave you, never to forsake you. That's the beauty of justification. But you know what? At the moment of salvation, another thing happens that's called sanctification. And the process of sanctification is when you and I have to live every day in the power of the gospel, in the power of the salvation that we have, to be able to say no to the temptations of sin. Sometimes we're successful with that, sometimes we're not. And we see in the Corinthian church that they were struggling with this. And the process of sanctification should be a continual growth. It should be a continual, and that's why we need the body of Christ. We need each other to continue to point each other to the great message of the, of the good news of Jesus Christ, that you have been justified, and that I need people like Joel Zare in my life when he sees me not walking as I should be to look at me and say, hey Dave, were you not believing rightly about Jesus in this moment? And helping point me back. That's why the church exists. That's why you and I come together on these Sunday mornings so that we can declare the truths of who God is and, and what he's done for us, but that we can also encourage each other in the faith this morning. But then when we walk out these doors, we don't just say goodbye. Hey, we'll see you next Sunday. Oh, I'll see you on men's Bible study on Saturday morning. No, we live life on life, life in community, and life on mission together, pointing each other to the truth of who God is, what he's done, who I am as a result of that, and then how we should live. And so the Corinthians are struggling. And they're struggling in this context to break with human philosophy. Now philosophy is the study of wisdom. Okay? Philosophy within itself isn't so bad. It's what are you studying about? Right? And again, we don't discount worldly wisdom. I just had surgery two weeks ago. Right? And I for sure want to know that my doctor has gone to medical school has practiced, and didn't just sleep the Holiday Inn Express the night before. Right? Right? I want to know that my doctor knows what they're doing when they cut me open and they take the gallbladder out and, and what, how, to, how to clip it up and make sure that everything's going to function properly. I want to know that. We need doctors. We need lawyers. We, we need mathematicians. 
We need scientists. We need civil engineers. We need pipeline workers. We need mechanics. We need farmers. We need coaches. We need pilots. We need insurance agents. We need investors. We need all of that wisdom. Or else our world would be mighty chaotic, wouldn't it? But the problem that we've seen is that human wisdom that seeks to answer the important questions of life, like who is God? What has God done specifically through Christ? Who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose? And how do I live in light of these truths are the most important questions that we need to look at. Worldly wisdom is okay to a point, but it it, it does nothing for eternal salvation. It does nothing to make us right with God. What we need is godly wisdom. And so the philosophers of that day were not promoting the wisdom of God. Rather, they were embracing man-made, worldly, empty, and ultimately destructive philosophies that doom people to hell. See, society was very immoral in, in Corinth and very much based on intellectual power and reason and the lusts of men. We saw that last week. John Piper says it this way, the Corinthian church was being misled by false teachers who had caused them to be caught up not only uh, with not only wisdom, but also power. We see that in our own country today is the quest for power. The quest for, I'm going to be better than you. I'm going to make a name for myself. I'm going I'm to be a self-made man, and I'm going to prove to everybody that I can do this. No, you cannot. What you and I need is the gospel, which is the power of God, that word dynamite. Uh, Dunamis, which is the word dynamite that destroys the power of sin and death in your heart and in mine. Amen? That's the power we need. And really the power that was demonstrated by Jesus Christ is the power of giving yourself, right, to the will of the Father, but then also service. See, so many Christians in the Corinthian church are dragging this worldly thinking and behavior into the church. And so Paul is writing this book to help the Corinthians to remind them of their gospel identity and how they should live and engage with one another in a lost world. So again, just to remind us of our context, Paul writes this letter to remind them of who God is. In chapter 1, verse 4, he says, You are the God of all grace, undeserved kindness. None, None of us in this room deserve the kindness of God but because he is a kind and loving and merciful and gracious God, undeserved favor. Number two, he reminds them of what he's done, that he saved them from the penalty of sin. In verse four again, he says, the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, what Christ had accomplished for them in his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension is actually true power, true forgiveness, and true life. And you've heard me say this before, and I'll continue to say it as long as the Lord has me here at Crosspoint, is we're not just saved from the penalty of sin. That's where a lot of Christians struggle. A lot of Christians are like, oh, I'm saved. I got my ticket punched. Now I just got to kind of muddle my way through this life. No, the second key component of the gospel is you're saved from the power of sin. Is that the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, who is his Holy Spirit, Paul writes about it, The power that raised Christ from the dead in Romans, I believe it's chapter 8, is the power that lives in his children. It should be a great day for all of us in this room, isn't it? So we're saved from the power of sin. Paul says it in Corinthians here, in every way, in every way, in every way you were enriched by him. In all speech and knowledge, not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, that's great news. He reminds them of who they are. He says, the world looks at you as insignificant, foolish, weak, and despised. The message of the cross, as Dave preached on last week, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But God uses broken, messed up people like us, weak, dependent upon Him, to be a powerful force used for his glory in the building of his kingdom, which is known as the church. You see, the idea of Crosspoint is not that we just get together on Sunday mornings to check the box. 
We're not just here because, oh, that's what we do every Sunday, and that's what we're supposed to do, and we're supposed to come sing a few songs and hear a message, and then we go home and live. No, the reason we come together is that we can come together, as I said before, worship God in all of his glory, encourage each other in the saints, and then we partner together by going out as the people of God, living every single day for his glory together. So that the world can look at his church and go, what makes you different? How come you, you can get offended but yet still forgive? How come you can take thousands of dollars out of your bank account that you were saving for your family vacation instead and give it to this person over here who's in desperate need financially? How can you just drop what you're doing at that moment and, and run and help a brother and sister in need? Why would you take groceries out of your own pantry and cook a meal and deliver it to a neighbor who hates you? Because that's what the church is called to do. Is we're to be a demonstration of what Jesus Christ has done, breaking into our hearts and working himself out through our lives as the church. Unified, working together. Dave preached a couple weeks ago, right? There's divisiveness. And again, brothers and sisters, we don't create unity. I hear Christians say that often. Oh, Lord, Lord, give us unity. We have unity. In whom? Christ Jesus. We are told to maintain the spirit of unity, which means you and I, day in and day out, we need to get up every day and say, Jesus, Father God, Holy Spirit, it's about you. It's about your glory. It's not about David Wolf. It's not about me getting props. It's not about me. And listen, encouragement's good. We need encouragement, right? I'm not saying we don't do that. But if I get up each and every day thinking that I want people to make much of me, much of me, much of me, much of me, then I'm doing it for the wrong reason. For us to maintain the spirit of unity, brothers and sisters, is we die. And we die every day. Paul says, I die daily. God uses redeemed, broken people, weak, despised, dependent on God's grace, people to demonstrate his glorious power in chapter 1, verse 24. And then he reminds them in chapter 2 of how they should live. He says, brothers and sisters, I don't come to you with lofty speech or wisdom, but I come to you in humility. Remember in Peter, always be ready to give a defense of the gospel that lies within you. And how are we supposed to do that, brothers and sisters? With gentleness and humility. I don't come at you, a brother or sister struggling with sin with my Bible in my hand, whacking you over the head. Wham, 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 wham. Get it together. I come to you dependent. Verses 3 and 4, Paul says in chapter 2, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and in my speech and in my message. They were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. Did you catch that? It wasn't in his own and, and understand Paul, he was an educated man, right? Paul wasn't coming to them like, I beseech thee, dear brothers and sisters in the faith, that you submit your life in justification and sanctification. No, it's not how Paul's coming to them. He says, I come to you dependent upon the Spirit of God, weak and broken, just like you. What is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And we are to declare the message of the gospel, brothers and sisters. We are to speak the gospel, not just to unbelievers, but to each other. And we are to demonstrate the message of the gospel. So this is where Paul is headed this morning in our text. Paul is going to continue to remind the Corinthian church of what they have in Christ Jesus and how glorious and amazing that message is because they did not come to it in their own wisdom. They have the source of true wisdom. All the answers that they need for life and godliness to be able to address all the circumstances of the mind and the heart. And so they're needing to be reminded by Paul 
that we see in these passages that are sandwiched between Paul's specific address of unity within the church. You see, it's not just good enough, brothers and sisters, that we know Scripture. Right? It's a, a big difference that we know it and we apply it to our lives. And so that's what Paul's getting at this morning. See, next week Paul will exhort the Corinthians to move on from milk and into the meat, so to speak. And the only way to do that is knowing and applying the wisdom that only God provides, empowered by His Spirit, revealed through His Word. And so this morning, Paul Tripp sums it up this way, and we got two quick points and then two points of application. But Paul Tripp says about this passage, he says, this really is one of those that-says-it-all passages. It confronts us with our inability to see and understand the things of God, things that are critical not only for knowing God, but also for living life as He designed it to be lived. You and I simply cannot know all that we need to know in order to be what we're supposed to be and to do what we're supposed to do by means of personal experience and collective research. Did you hear that? Because, brothers and sisters, there's a lot of that in the church. Right? Well, what does your heart tell you? My heart tells me that I am desperately wicked. Who can know it? So when someone tells you to follow your heart, don't listen. I'm serious. Just follow your heart, man. No. Because my heart is desperately wicked. My heart, apart from Jesus Christ, apart from the Spirit of God reigning and ruling in my life that day, wants to serve one person and one person alone. Who is that? Me, myself, and I. No, we tell each other to go to the Word of God. Tripp goes on to say there's a body of wisdom that comes to us only by the means of revelation. That's the Word of God. God first reveals this wisdom to us in His grand redemptive book, the Bible, and then He opens our eyes and our hearts so that we can receive and understand what He has revealed. And without this ministry of illuminating grace, I love that term, and we'll address that a little bit later, these things would be at worst completely concealed from us and at best a whole lot of foolishness to us. You see, brothers and sisters, we need Christ to come to us by His Spirit to reveal His mind to us so that we can think His. Paul is saying to each and every one of us sitting here this morning, at the moment of salvation, you are not on your own. You have been given the, the, the Word of God and this morning we're going to see and point to that you've been given the revealer of the truth. And that is the Spirit of God. So let's dive in for point number one. This, what is the source of true wisdom? What is the source of true wisdom? 1 Corinthians 2, verses 6 through 9. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who loved him. So let's park there for a few moments. The source of true wisdom. Paul says, yet. What is he referring to? See, the world in chapter 1 is trying to give you their wisdom. And their wisdom, according to uh, Paul, according ultimately to God's authority, is foolishness. And Paul says, yet, which means on the other hand, unlike ungodly philosophers and teachers who impart worldly wisdom, we are called, as believers, to impart wisdom among the mature. Now what does that word mature mean? The word mature means those who are mature and are, are those... And, uh, those who are mature are those who are redeemed and are completely trusting in Jesus Christ. He's not talking here about super-Christians. He's referring to a Christian, a believer, someone who has put their faith and trust in Christ. One commentator says it this way, so here it is referring to a Christian, not a super-Christian, just a Christian, because he's not contrasting mature Christians with infantile ones. He's contrasting Christians with unbelievers. And we are speaking wisdom among those that are believers. The only people who know this wisdom are the Christians. And so Paul says that we impart godly wisdom 
to one another, we also impart godly wisdom to a lost and dying world. Now, who imparts that wisdom? I got news for you. It's not just the pastors. It's not just the elders. It's not just the sun chaser workers. It's not just the worship team members. It's not just community group leaders. It is every single person in this room that calls upon the name of the Lord for salvation. I can't tell if he's clapping. (laughs) Thank you. I think he's coloring back there. I'll take it as a clap. Brothers and sisters, the imparting of God's word is something for all of us. It's not just for the few. And what do we impart? Right? Matthew 28, Jesus came to them and says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now listen, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We impart all of Scripture, brothers and sisters. The broken, the weak, the lowly, the despised are used by God to impart wisdom. That word impart means we speak. And it's a secret, as Paul says. What does that word secret mean? It's not a wisdom that man can just figure out. It's not like man gets up one morning and says, boy, I'm a sinner, and boy, I really need a Savior, and I can't save myself. And I needed somebody to come and live this life for me and and die my death that I deserved and to shed his blood so that I can be forgiven. Nobody on their own got up that morning and thought about that. It has to be revealed by God through his spirit. The word mystery means a secret which is impossible, impossible for earthly man to penetrate under his own devices. But it is one in which God has chosen to reveal something that man can't know but what God has revealed. Think about that, brothers and sisters. If you're sitting here this morning and you are in Christ Jesus, the Spirit of God, by His power, opened your eyes to believe in who Jesus is and what He's done for you, and you responded by grace through faith for salvation. A couple weeks ago, I was at the doctor's office and I was talking to the doctor and we were talking about the Lord and I was sharing the gospel with her. You know, and in the back of my mind as I'm sharing, you know know when you're talking to someone about the gospel and you know when they're either embracing it or when they're not? You ever been there? Right? You're sharing Christ with them and she's like, "Uh uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And in the back of my mind, I'm sitting there going, she has no idea. Sadly. But by the grace of God, you know, brothers and sisters, I would be there too. And so would you. But it just makes me wonder as we tell the secret message, again, it's not this simplistic message. It is the message that is all glorifying to God. See, it's the story of the Bible. It's all of Scripture. It starts with Adam and Eve. And God tells them, right? He's in perfect relationship with them and they're walking with Him in the cool of the day in the garden and and He tells them, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan comes and he lies to Eve and she believes the lie and so they rebel against God and God promises a Savior in Genesis 3.15 but we know all throughout the Old Testament, right? The struggle. Genesis chapter 12, He calls Abraham says through Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations, right? And and that ultimate blessing is going to be uh, Jesus because Jesus comes through the line of Abraham. But he makes them a special people. He says, I want you to be a people of my possession who are going to display my glory, Israel. And Israel says, yes, Lord, we'll do everything that you say. And in the very next chapter, what are they doing? They're dancing around the golden calf. They're taken into exile. They seem hopeless. There's 400 years of silence. They need a deliverer, and then bam! New Testament. The, giver, the deliverer is given, culminating in Jesus Christ to redeem a people to himself called the church. Brothers and sisters, this is not something you and I 
just make up or we just figure out. We don't have the capacity on our own. Paul writes in Romans, as it is written, none is righteous, not one. I struggle sometimes. And again, we need encouragement, but I hear Christians that look at each other like, oh, they're a good, they're a good person. Oh, you're a good man. You're a good woman. Apart from Jesus, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Paul says it right here. None is righteous, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. They've all turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So be warmed and filled. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is on their lips, and their mouth is full of curse and bitterness. And brothers and sisters, what we needed was the Spirit to open our eyes to the message of the cross and our depravity and our need for the Savior and the faith and belief in the person and the work of Christ that Jesus came and that He took the wrath that was deserved for us upon Himself, propitiation, the satisfying of God's wrath so that you and I never have to experience God's wrath ever. What does Paul say? He says, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. That little phrase, for our glory, do you understand and grasp the meaning of that statement? See, Paul isn't saying that it's about us seeking divine glory and worship. We already do a pretty good job of that every single day, don't we? Right? I think it's Charles Spurgeon that says we're idol factories right? So it's not Paul seeing us that we seek glory and worship for ourselves that is due only to God. What he's saying is, is that we get to participate in God's glorious plan to proclaim and live him to the world, that we have everything that we need for life and godliness to live joyfully no matter what circumstances are in our lives, and that we have an inheritance, as Peter says, that is waiting for us, kept in heaven for us by God himself, to live eternally with him when we either die or he returns to take us home. That's the glory he's talking about. The seal that we get in the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 1.14 as we've sung about. Faithful you are and faithful you forever will be. So the moment of salvation all the way till the moment of glorification, God is always faithful. He's always working towards in us and through us towards that time when we will forever experience eternal glory. Paul says in Ephesians 3.16 that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. And brothers and sisters, in this time of our life, don't we need to be encouraged, strengthened? Because I'll tell you, when you look out on our world, Christianity is not embraced. Jesus even tells us, you will be hated on account of me. And that's coming more and more every single day. And so we need that encouragement, that strength, that power. Not from somebody looking at me going and saying, oh Dave, you're good enough and you're smart enough and doggone it, people like you. Right? Those of you that are old enough to remember Stuart Smalley. Yeah, Bree's like, yep, I know. Stuart Smalley, the old comedy act, he would look in the mirror and he'd be like, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough and doggone it, people like me. That's not what I need. What I need is for Bree to look at me and say, you are dearly loved by the King of kings and Lord of lords because you've put your faith and trust in Him. You've embraced, you've received the work of Jesus Christ. And so no matter what circumstances you're going in your life, you have a Savior who will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's preparing an inheritance for you right now, which is imperishable, undefiled, kept in heaven by God, not me, but by God for our glory. How do we know the philosophies of this world are foolish? Paul goes on to say right here that none of the rulers of this age understood the message of the cross. They didn't understand the message of Jesus. They, all they did was worry about their quest for power because he said if they had understood the message of Jesus, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They wouldn't have crucified Jesus. They would have been like, we need you. I need you. Instead, they're like, no. 
No. How do you seek to eliminate and destroy someone who holds the keys of eternal life for you? <laughs> I was speaking last night in Tremont at the cabin and speaking on John chapter 6, the bread of life, and I just love that because, you know, Jesus says you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and they're like, what? And what, what he's talking about is you need to receive me, not literally eat his flesh and drink his blood. We're going to take communion in just a little moment. Communion is not literally eating the flesh of Jesus and drinking the It's a reminder of the precious salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. And, in, and, he, and Jesus says to these people that are following him, and they're not following him for the right reason, they're following him because they want their bellies full. He says, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood you need to receive me, you need to believe in me, you need to follow me, you need to love me, you need to trust me, you need to treasure me, you need to delight in me. And, and, it, sa and, and it says in the scriptures, this was a hard saying for many of them and they walked away. But I love it when Jesus looks at the 12 and he says, you don't want to go too, do you? And I love this. I go back to this phrase all the time because Peter looks at him and says, Lord, where else are we going to go? Because you are the one that holds the keys to eternal life. Amen? Where else are we going to go, brothers and sisters? Paul says these men are blinded. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. They're desperately in need of the spirits, opening their eyes for salvation. And then he goes on to quote Isaiah 64, 4. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. Now, a lot of people take this passage out of context. They think, oh, he's talking about heaven. God's prepared this. And oh, we haven't seen it yet. We haven't experienced it yet, but it's coming. That's not the context of the passage. What Paul is saying is that you cannot and will not grasp the enormous grace and the gift of the gospel without God's divine intervention. You can't understand it. You won't understand it. Without recognizing your need of it and receiving it. One commentator says it this way, do you find in this, con in this context about heaven... Is he talking about heaven here? He's, he's talking about ignorance, folks. He's not talking about Christians not being able to know what heaven's like. He's talking about unbelievers not being able to know what salvation is like in that verse. And so Paul reminds us that there's going to be a glorious inheritance for God's people, but that inheritance is not because you and I somehow figured it out, broke the code, solved the puzzle for all my puzzle people here, code people here. It is because a gracious God through His Spirit has opened your eyes. He's removed the scales and He quickens our hearts to recognize just how depraved and in need of a Savior we are and allows us to be able to respond by grace through faith to His glorious message of the cross. So our source of wisdom is from God the Father, friends. It's not worldly wisdom. It's not the latest guru it's not the latest self-help movement. It's the Word of God, which leads me to my second point, and we'll go through this rather quickly. Well, who is the revealer of true wisdom? Who is the revealer of true wisdom? It's the Holy Spirit, and that's what Paul refers to. In verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Four key things that the Spirit does in our life. There's a lot of them, but we're going to focus on these four real quickly. The first one is regeneration, and we've talked about it a lot in salvation. I want to read one quote, and then we'll move on. But regeneration is important because the commentator says this, for human beings, regeneration is the answer to the corruption of moral character caused by sin. So again, you're saved by grace, you're justified, but now we're in the process of sanctification, we're in the process of growth, and so regeneration should be at work in changing us to be more and more into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. The commentator goes on to say, it is essential for participation in the kingdom of God, John 3, 3. At conversion, God grants the believer new life and a new identity in Christ, and this event is so powerful that John refers to it as a new birth, a birth from above while Paul refers to it as a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. In either case, the change is brought about by the Holy Spirit 
who comes to indwell the believer. Those born of the Spirit receive not an extension of mortal life, but eternal life, a life which has the quality of God's own. Regeneration applies to the inner self, not to the body, but those who have received the Spirit's inward work can anticipate the Spirit's renovation of their physical bodies in the resurrection. What he's saying is this. Paul says, although my outward body is wasting away, inwardly I am being renewed, what? Daily. The Spirit of God comes and lives in His children, gives us the power to say no to the the temptation of sin and death, reminds us of the truth of Scripture, convicts us when we do fall, brings us back to repentance, and changes us. I hope sitting here you can look over the course of your life and say, boy, my life hasn't been perfect. None of us are until we go to be with the Lord in glory, but I hope that you can look back and see how God has grown you and He's changed you and how He's continuing to change you. And that you rejoice in that. Regeneration, friends. God isn't up there with some fishing pole with a carrot at the end going, okay, figure out the Christian life. And then when you get out there to go grab the carrot, he's like, whoa, psych, right? No, he's there walking with you, beside you, in you, with you, for you. Regeneration, number two. Revelation, verses 10 and 11. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, because the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of the person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. These things God has, what? Revealed to us through His Spirit. How has God revealed His wisdom to us? Through His Word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. How much is Scripture? All Scripture. Not part, all Scripture. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so Paul reminds us of the beautiful picture of the Trinity here. It gives us the picture of the depth of knowledge and relationship between the Holy Spirit and the Father. And he even gives us a little word picture, right? He says, who knows the depths of a person's thoughts except the Spirit within him, right? Right? I know the depths of thoughts that are in me because I live with me. Right? My wife can know tendencies about me. She can know you know, things that I reveal to her. But the only person that knows what resides deep inside of me, the depth of me, is who? Me. And the only person, right, Paul says here, besides Christ, so really the Trinity, but three in one, is the Spirit of God who knows the depths of God the Father. And so I cannot know the complete depths of the thoughts of God unless we have His Spirit who actually knows the very depths of those thoughts and reveals those thoughts to us as we meet and abide with Him. Make sense? I can't know the thoughts of God apart from His Spirit because the Spirit knows the depths of the thoughts of God. That's what Paul is saying. The third is inspiration. It is not the spirit of this world, Paul says, but the Holy Spirit who empowers us through God's word to know and apply his very word. And the spirit teaches us so that we can impart God's truth. We don't take our commands and our orders from worldly philosophies and self-help texts and modern gurus. Peter says it this way, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by whom? The Holy Spirit. God gave us men like Paul, his personality and his writing, but it was the Holy Spirit from God giving Paul exactly what he wanted Paul to say. Not man's wisdom, 
Not worldly wisdom, but wisdom from God. Fourthly, illumination. Verses 14 to 16. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. As I read earlier, Paul Tripp said, there is that body of wisdom that comes to us only by the means of revelation, God's word. God first reveals his wisdom to us in the grand redemptive book, the Bible. Then he opens our eyes and our hearts, excuse me, so that we can receive and understand what is revealed. Without this ministry, we can receive and understand what he has revealed. Without this ministry of illuminating grace, illuminating grace, these things would be at worst completely concealed from us, at best a whole lot of foolishness to us. And we need Christ to come to us by His Spirit to reveal His mind to us so we can think His. That's what Paul's talking about. Unless it's the illuminating grace of God, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. Now, does it mean we stop declaring that to to our people? Does that mean that the doctor that I talk to, that I stop sharing the gospel with her? No. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters. I'm not going to change your mind. (laughs) And when you share the gospel with your friends, you're not going to change their mind either. It's not you to save them. That's on God. That's on His Spirit to save them, which frees you and I up to do what? Share the message. Share it in boldness. Share it in love. Share it in humility. And we can walk away, and if they look at you and say, man, you're a creep. I never want to see you ever again. Get out of my face. I don't have to get all offended. I don't have to get all upset. I don't have to be like, oh my goodness, what's going on here, Lord? I continue to love them and I continue to share Jesus to them, but I'm not the one who's going to save them. Because the natural mind, apart from the Spirit breaking in, it's foolishness to them. But Paul closes by saying, you and I have the mind of Christ. Which means, husbands, we can be We can be better husbands to our wives when we live in the mind of Christ. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit, right? Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Wives, same thing with your husbands, right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. So what does it mean for us this morning? My question is, number one, as you ponder through What is your source of wisdom this morning? What is it? Now again, I'm not saying we don't watch the news, we don't watch sports, we don't enjoy things that God has given us. That's not what I'm saying. But if you're getting a daily steady diet of earthly wisdom and you're not getting a daily steady diet of godly wisdom, you and I are going to be in serious trouble. I'm firmly convinced, brothers and sisters, been a Bible teacher the last couple years before moving here to Cross Point. People do not know their Bibles. They don't. Well, so-and-so said this. I, what does he say? had a conversation yesterday with, with someone who was like, they're living together, right? It wasn't with them directly, but it was with a uh, community group leader that I was uh, working with, and and we were talking about this, this couple who they're living together, they're not married, they've had conversations like, hey, this is an honoring to God, and here was the response, but it's part of our culture. You know how dangerous that is? Culture doesn't trump Scripture. Family doesn't trump Scripture. Truth is truth. All Scripture is God-breathed. Profitable for teaching, correction, rebuke, and training in righteousness. What is your source of wisdom this morning? Are you even born again of the Spirit of God? Have you even put your faith and trust in Christ? Are you responded to His glorious wisdom and salvation that Paul refers to and that's been preached the last several weeks? So that's number one. Where, what is your source of wisdom? Number two, How are you doing with that wisdom that you've received from the Holy Spirit in your life? As I said earlier, brothers and sisters, it's not just good enough that we're hearers of the Word. We need to be what? Doers of the Word. 
Proverbs, he says, keep your heart with all diligence for from it flows the springs of life. How are you doing in guarding your heart? How are you using godly wisdom to guard and protect your heart so that the springs of life that flow out of you are springs of life? What sin might be keeping you from the Spirit working in your life through the revelation of God's Word in your life? Is it laziness? Apathy? Fear? Materialism? Discontent? And the list goes on and on. You see, the great thing that we have this morning is communion. And as the the group comes to share the communion with us, as you receive the elements, right, communion is for believers. So if you are a believer this morning and maybe you're not even a covenant member of Cross Point Community Church, but you're a believer in the body of Christ, we invite you to take communion. Because communion is the remembrance of what Christ has done for you to save you from the penalty of sin, but to also save you from the power of sin. And so as you receive those elements, as you guys bring the communion elements up and pass those out, just take the next few moments to just confess sin, to bring it to the Lord and say, Lord, I am not believing rightly about you, about this in my life. And I want to, the Spirit to illumine, to reveal, to re- to, to, to teach, to remind, to reprove, to rebuke. And, and as, as Luke says in Acts, repent so that, you, as you, so that your sins are washed away and that seasons of refreshing may come, brothers and sisters. See, brothers and sisters, these times are special because it's, again, a reminder of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, When he had given thanks, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take the bread at this time, remembering his body broken for you. It says that in the same way he also took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. So take and drink at this time, remembering His blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Hallelujah for the cross. Wisdom not from man, but wisdom that came from you. And that you give us your spirit to receive that, And to be able to live that out. And I pray that as we go out of these doors today that this church family would walk in the power of that. That we have a mystery, a secret to bring that's been brought into our lives by your gospel. And that, Lord, we would be a light that shines in the midst of a dark place and that others would come to know that that mystery. That they would be delivered from the power of darkness and into your marvelous light. And all God's people said... Amen.